This episode brought to you by Juice of Safu. It is by will alone I set my mind in motion. It is by the juice of Safu that the mind acquires speed. The lips acquire stains. The stains become a warning. It is by will alone I set my mind in motion. Set your mind in motion with Juice of Safu. Back in the 70s and 80s, before the advent of VHS, chances are, if you saw a classic movie, it was on the 4.30 movie. With their famous theme weeks, it was a chance to see movies you never saw and get reacquainted with some old classics. So, join us now for the 4.30 movie. Welcome to Spielberg Week. (laughs) This week on the 4.30 movie. Hi, I'm Mark A. Altman, and you have joined us for another installment of the 4.30 movie. I'm here with our usual band of expert programmers, writer-producer Stephen Melching. Hello there. Concept artist Darren Docterman. Hi. And film and TV writer, Ashley E. Miller. What's a Spielberg? <laughs> it's this big mountain that rolls over other things. Play mountain. Yes. I, uh, I think this is an exciting week. And you know, one of the, the important things I think that is important to share with our audience is that uh, when we say Spielberg week, we're not just referring to Steven Spielberg, director. We're also talking about his um, producing career with the Amblin Pictures, uh, DreamWorks, and of course, um, as an actor. Because a lot of people don't realize he's done a lot of cameos and a <laughs> bunch of movies. And so that would also qualify for Spielberg Week uh, or Spielberger, as the kids used to know him. As, uh, <laughs> um, and there's even an, a wonderful HBO documentary about uh, Spielberg that potentially could qualify. So uh, anyway, good to see you guys. Uh, this is going to be a fun one, I think. It's nice to be here. Yeah. This is a tough one. Spielberg has made a lot of movies, both as a director and a producer. Really? <laughs> I, I, I don't follow <laughs> there you go kids. but we're not talking about his best films necessarily we're not these shows are not about picking the five best movies in any given category oh, I'm living proof of that <laughs> <laughs> says the man who picked crawl for his sorcery, <laughs> sorcery week <laughs> um, yeah it, that's absolutely right Steve um, the fact of the matter is is we're trying to it's like a menu you know, you may love a certain dish that's not on the menu because the wine has to go with the entree, has to go with the dessert, has to go with the appetizer, and it may not be your favorite entree, but it, it, it serves well with that. What it, wine goes with Spielberg? Manischewitz. Manischewitz. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that's offensive to me. <laughs> I, I'm allowed to say it. <laughs> So uh, I was going to say the budget's too high. That's the one. <laughs> okay. So uh, anyway, uh, as uh, we do, there are five days to the week when there's Welcome. not an after-school special, and <laughs> um, or preempted by baseball. This will be a five five-day uh, uh, week of Steven Spielberg movies, and we're going to start with Steve. What's what film would you like to uh, call to our attention <sighs> that you think would work for Monday? Man, I mean, the movie I really want to pick is such a downer that I'm reluctant to pick it for Monday. Always. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's one of his best films. So I'm going to pick it anyway. AI, Artificial Intelligence. Wow. Uh, his film from 2001. Uh, As opposed to the feel-good movie of Schindler's List. <laughs> right. I get the real downer. Uh. Um, I mean, I, I love this movie. I think it's one of his best films. Um uh, since his uh, golden age in the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, it's a film that famously was uh, began life as a Stanley Kubrick 
film that he had developed over many years based on the Brian Aldiss uh, short story. Uh, he had brought in a couple of different writers to try to crack the story to his uh, satisfaction. Uh, he never was really quite pleased with the direction the story was going in. Um, he spent a lot of time uh, with concept artists developing the look for the film. Uh, he abandoned it at one point to do Eyes Wide Shut because he had initially wanted the, the lead character of David to be uh, a, a completely CGI character. And uh, obviously the visual effects technology was just not there. Uh, and then he saw Jurassic Park and that reignited his interest in pursuing this film. Um, and uh, apparently this was a project he had talked to Spielberg. He and Spielberg were friends uh, over many years. Fast friends. They, they, were, certainly, they were certainly uh, phone friends. Right. Uh, uh, apparently uh, Kubrick would call Stephen uh, in the middle of the night, like 2.30 <laughs> in the morning, and would want to talk for like three hours. Because, of course, it was like the afternoon in England. And so... Uh, uh, I remember Spielberg being uh, interviewed one time, and he said, apparently, uh, Stanley had no concept of time zones. <laughs> so I, I, I always thought, found that very funny. Um, but uh, Kubrick loved to talk on the phone endlessly, and there are several people who he would call, and Spielberg was one of them. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine getting to the point, you're like, oh, God damn it, Kubrick's calling again. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm never dreading getting Stanley's off this phone call. call. You're talking like to Kubrick, and your wife comes in, and she's like, we're supposed to go to the theater. You're like, it's, it's, it's Stanley. 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 <laughs> you know, Steve, I want to ask you, I mean, without obviously, I don't want this to become a spoiler alert for our audience that hasn't seen AI before. But, you know, when the movie came out, um, the ending is somewhat controversial, the last five, ten minutes of the, of the picture. And uh, Spielberg was taking the task as doing a very Spielbergian ending, which he then said, no, this was Kubrick's original idea. You know, where do you sort of weigh in on that uh, I absolutely love the ending, and I remember seeing the film with you, actually, for the first time. I think Darren might have been there, <laughs> yeah, too. We had, there too. We arranged some kind of a pre-release screening, mm. and unfortunately, I happened to be sitting next to another friend of ours that who I won't name, and he clearly hated the movie, and all through the movie, he kept groaning and shifting in his seat. That was not me. Heavily, no. I was. And that was, was me. A generation. I was so into this movie. I did. I mean, I hate that when I'm into a movie. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. The person that you're with is making no no uh, secret that they're hating what they're watching, and just kind of colors your. Uh, I don't think there's any need to do that. You know, when you're at a movie, it's like take it all in, and you know, it, it's not social media. You don't need to like be letting everyone around you know. I find that very know. triggering. <laughs> no, I, I love the ending of it. Uh, I thought it was incredibly moving. Uh, a lot of people, I think, initially misinterpreted what the ending was. Right. Some people were talking about, what's with all the aliens? Like, those yeah. weren't aliens. They're not aliens. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I think, folks, if you haven't seen the movie, stop listening right now. Um, because the great thing about the ending is that these creatures that we, you know, that you kind of think are alien-shaped are actually the descendants, the far-flung descendants of the robot denizens of the film that we've watched throughout the entire thing. And they are excavating their history. And David is the only remaining, uh, quote, living representation of that time. And, Whether, and they're linked to humanity. They're linked right. to their creators. I think it's a fascinating story. These artificially intelligent beings that have evolved on their own over the, you know, the centuries 
are seeking answers about their origins. I think the ending of the movie is the best part of it, actually. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, it's very poetic. It's beautiful to look at. It's uh, it's very emotional. Um, the John Williams score it, is it's, wonderful. It's beautiful. I listen to it over and over on occasion. Beautiful release from La La Land, double issue. Uh, oh, that's that right. Came yeah. out recently. Um, what's interesting about that movie is obviously uh, Spielberg has been very impacted by Peter Pan, you know, and the Walt Disney oeuvre, you know, Dumbo. Sure. And you can see the influences uh, in AI. Well, I mean, technically, that was Kubrick. Kubrick actually referred to the movie in pre production as Pinocchio. Yeah. He called it Pinocchio, the Blue Fairy. All that stuff is Kubrick. And all the stuff that people like to assign to Spielberg actually came from Kubrick. And a lot of the stuff people think is Kubrick came from Spielberg. Right. I believe a lot of the flesh fair stuff yeah, came the, the from Spielberg. Pinocchio cup of, of yeah. movies. Yeah. <laughs> you got your Kubrick in my Spielberg. You got your Spielberg in my Kubrick. The Pinocchio influence is abundantly clear, which is not a bad thing at all. I mean, he yeah. wanted to do Pinocchio for years, and he finally found a way to kind of do it. He found a way. I'm Life will be find a way. The voice of partial dissent on this film. Look, I think that it's beautifully made. I think there are many beautiful scenes and performances. I think um, I was unexpectedly emotionally involved with the goddamn teddy bear. <laughs> um, but oh, I think yes, that as a film, it was a structural mess. Um, I think that the movie peaks emotionally at the moment when mommy. Uh, leaves him out in the woods by himself. You you can't go higher than that. Would you, you say you that can't... Bambi peaked emotionally in the first five minutes as well? I don't know that I would or not, because you know what? I saw Bambi when I was like six years old. We'll see so, it again. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because, but, because but, that's exactly no, the, the same moment. The movie has to recreate itself after that. And it's like it just doesn't have the same place to go. And then my problem with the ending is not that I don't it's not that I think that it's not um, interesting because it is interesting. Although weirdly, I just sort of remember it as him sitting in a hotel room. Um, and I That's don't know movie. why. <laughs> but uh, but I felt like the movie was telling us structurally that it was done when he got to the Blue Fairy. The thing that he was after, the thing that he was looking for, he finally found it was done. And everything else was about somebody else's movie that had yeah. nothing a, to do with him emotionally. A lot of people emotionally. felt it did feel that way when he's trapped in the amphibicopter at the bottom of right. uh, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the Atlantic uh, Ocean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, trapped under the Ferris wheel that has collapsed on top of him. You figure he's just going to run out of power and shut down. That's right. And a lot of people felt that was the end of the movie. And then it fades out even. It fades to black. Mm. Right. And then it comes back up and like, oh, the movie's still going. But that next section, I freaking love because it's, that's when they – The thing is – I don't dislike it. Yeah. I just think that it's interesting and it works here instead yeah, yeah. of working you're here. You're confusing the Blue Fairy as his goal. It's not his goal. He's searching for the Blue Fairy but so that she will make him a real boy so his mommy will love him. Yeah. That's his goal. And then when and he, yeah, without sorry. that last section, he doesn't get his goal. When the when the AIs recreate true. that for him, I mm -hmm. found that so profoundly moving. You know, they say she can only exist for a day, and right. he gets to spend one last perfect day with right. his mother before except, he expires. That is profoundly except sad that reinforces the interpretation that it's done when he gets to the Blue Fairy, because what they provide for him is not 
what he wants. It is a representation of what he believes that he wants. What he actually wants is reality. And when he discovers the Blue Fairy, what he discovers truly is he is forced to embrace the reality of himself, right? Which I thought was actually A, a lot more emotional and B, kind of more interesting. I thought like, again, I'm not really knocking that last section. I thought sort of as a little sort of short film postscript, it was mm -hmm. kind of cool. But everything in the movie told me that when he got to that point, like that was sort of like the the sort of the sadly sort of ironic up because, you know, he had achieved it. But then achieving it wasn't what he hoped it would be. Right. And I just felt that there was nothing in the movie that that built from or kind of expanded on. Um, well, well, certainly his goal comes from mommy sort of leaving him behind. But mm -hmm. but the emotion of it never built like his his strongest emotional connection to anyone, anything in that film was the bear. Like, and I have to say, one of my favorite Spielberg moments is when the bear is dangling and he's mm -hmm. like, I might break. Right. That just kills me and that sticks with me. The, the delivery of the dialogue, I mean, the actor that voiced the bear is the so sort of uh, matter of fact, it's deadpan, perfect. it's yeah, no perfect, yeah. My question for you is, you know, and I wouldn't dispute that AI is, uh, you know, a, a terrific movie. I don't know if I would go as far as calling it a masterpiece, but it, it, it's 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 a really uh, important film in his oeuvre. But does it belong on Monday? You know, for a man whose career, <laughs> well, yes. well who, who who's, who's made on being a crowd pleaser and right. knowing what the audience wanted, you know, should we look at a particularly a program that later in the week? Is that the right way to begin Spielberg week? Well, that, that's why I was reluctant to, uh, to to go up first with this movie, because it is a sort of a it marks sort of second period Spielberg. Yes. where He's trying to make more adult Sophisticated well, films, rather than the crowd pleasers that he. I was think known our for. week is very modular, so yeah, yeah. we should, I think, accept that but as it's your also, choice. It's also a good movie that the audience can skip if they're too busy on Monday to watch a movie. Catch it for the marriage or the weekend. I, I, I really and, wanted yeah. to get this movie out there because it's one of those movies that not everyone has seen. I agree. Uh, a lot of people kind of skip over it in favor of his more popular or famous films and uh, I think it's really worth seeing whether I you, you agree. agree with us or I, I, no, I totally agree totally that it's worth watching. provoking yeah. I actually I respect his point of view I, I understand it and uh, I, I think it's a, a great topic for conversation I just want to point out this is all coming from a man who dressed up as Indiana Jones for Halloween <laughs> so uh, I, 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 I dressed incredibly up incredibly disloyal the ball that <laughs> <laughs> chased me all over the neighborhood yeah. when I was trying to trick or treat growing up in Colorado uh <laughs> Um, so, AI, artificial intelligence, provisionally for Monday, um, Darren Dockerman. Well, gentlemen, oh boy. thank you for joining me. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Here it comes now, Con. I'm, I'm going to go with... Uh, go. 1941. Do you mind? Yes. <laughs> go Mr. ahead. Mr. Miller. <laughs> Darren has the floor. <laughs> thank you, Chairman Altman. Um, I'm going to go to my favorite Spielberg film of all time. Even better than Jaws, better than Raiders of the Lost Ark. The Terminal. Right. <laughs> no, wait. I think that Darren has the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Okay. 1978, it came out. Uh, I'm sorry, 77. 77 in November. Uh, and it was number two of the one-two punch that was Star Wars and Close Encounters. Uh, and it uh, it laid a uh, 
jab right to my side, and it uh, knocked me out for a few months. Um, it is probably, I would argue, the most personal of Spielberg's films, uh, closely uh, closely representing his own struggle. And, and interestingly, the only other film that Spielberg directed that he has sole screenwriting credit on other than AI right. in Close Encounters. Whether or not he actually <laughs> right. did write the screenplay, <laughs> he certainly gets credit for it. Um, there are several others that would argue with that, but I'm not here to debate that question. Um, what I will say is that uh, my feeling about Close Encounters is that it is not a film about extraterrestrials visiting Earth. It is a allegory of the trip of into living a creative life. Agreed. It is a demonstration of the struggles that you have to deal with when you choose the creative path, the uh, people who will go against you, the family who will not understand you, the, um, the questioning yourself if you uh, think that it's the right path at all, and the final uh, struggle to uh, recognize your own power of creation. And I think the main character, Roy, Roy Neary, goes through all of these phases and finally reaches enlightenment at the end when the, you know, little creatures come and take him away. And they play Uno. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it's an absolutely beautiful film. It's, uh, it is a Polaroid picture of life, at least how it was for me in the 70s. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at all that set dressing, it is exactly what we had in our house when I was growing up. Along with mashed potatoes. Along, well, yes, we had mashed potatoes too. Yes, very well, good. And, and hearing that Budweiser commercial on television, yeah. boom, 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 boom. Well, I, you know, people forget Spielberg really pioneered that. I mean, if you remember the scene where the trucks are going out to Wyoming, mm -hmm. um, you know, and and the army is is closing off uh, um, everything. It, you know, it was like Dairy Queen right. and all. The, you had never really had real brands. Everything was always fake right. in movies. You know, it was made up. And Spielberg, you know, said, if you're going to believe this reality I'm creating, as far-fetched as aliens landing, you, you know. you got to have Piggly Wiggly you on gotta, the side yeah, of the truck. And, 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 and it was really a seismic shift. And it wasn't because, oh, we're getting, pro you know, product placement money. Mm -mm. It was because of creating a credible reality. And, right. uh, I, you know, Spielberg really sort of pioneered. I can't think of a lot of movies before that where it was so grounded in authenticity. It's very naturalistic. Uh, and and that's, that was true of a lot of his films. Jaws was like that. E.T. Well, uh, was like that. It's interesting to me that Spielberg kind of invented uh, the uh, kind of the, the paradigm for movies of the 80s, right? Everybody was essentially following the map that Spielberg drew with his films. But... Close Encounters strikes me as being his film that is least like that, that is most like um, the kind of movies that were being made generally in the 1970s when nobody knew anything mm -hmm. and everyone was experimenting. And right. sometimes um, the experiments were amazing and sometimes they didn't work out so hot. Um, and certainly Close Encounters was an experiment that worked out incredibly well. And that's what I kind of love about it that you can see the the outlines, the sketches of the, the Spielberg formula. And I don't say that it's pejorative, um, but it's it's not enslaved to it. Mm -hmm. um, it just kind of effortlessly tells this story that, and I think your analysis of it is is dead on, spot on, brilliant, exactly right. 
um, because it, it's you know he's not he's not just setting out to entertain us with that film. He succeeds in entertaining us with that film, right. but he does have something to say. Um, that is that feels authentic. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a lot of debate and negative feelings about about the ending about him. People say he abandons his family uh, to go with the aliens. That's not it at all. His family abandoned him. Right. Mm. His family left him. He tried to reconcile with them and bring them back, but they did not understand him. They did not want to go on this journey with him because they thought he was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't leave. That's right. I think it, it's a it's an entirely different situation that uh, you know Spielberg himself said that he wouldn't make yeah, this right. movie these days because of the fact that Roy he leaves his family. His family yeah. Spielberg has forgotten what the movie was about. That's right, and I think that says a lot about kind of how he is making movies now. I agree. I completely agree, and I so wish that we had the seventy seventy seven Spielberg back for a little bit. But. Yeah, and, and let me just add. I mean, I I agree with Darren. This is one of my favorite Spielberg films as well. And it, not only is it uh, moving, uh, emotional, uh, and entertaining, it's also scary. This movie mm-hmm. scared the hell out of me. I was nine years old when I saw it, and uh, even though the aliens turned out to be completely Benign. more or less benevolent. Yeah. <laughs> Although they did abduct people for decades and take them across the galaxy, and but um, and apparently they, they had raves, judging. By the <laughs> <laughs> if we watch the special they edition, everybody's just stepping up. They've got the cat in the hat hats, and they're just this, the sequence looks like a W hotel. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> it really does. The sequence so when they're abducting uh, the kid, Barry, Barry yeah. is terrifying. Yes. with all those lights, yes. and 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 I think of the beginning of that scene when the mother is outside, and there's that the way that. Scene scene is staged mm-hmm. and framed with the house on the left side of the frame and the and um, the clouds the, the clouds in the middle and the mother on the right hand side and you see the lights coming down coming towards them and the mother knows she has to get back into that house i right. mean this is a film that gave me nightmare one of the few films that gave me nightmares was close encounters even though it's a beautiful film well the aliens may have been benevolent and benign, but they were also kind of a holes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and and creepy. That spider, yeah. that spider alien, man, that thing, uh, that was scary too. I, you know, I have to say that you know people look at it as one of the legendary great science fiction movies of all time, which it is. But it's also one of the great conspiracy thrillers of all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. this comes you know on the heels of Watergate, right. you know, seventies people losing faith in government, and here you have this vast conspiracy to prevent. You know, UFOs from being revealed, you know, uh, w- what they engineer, you know, by Devil's Tower. Manufacturing. Manufacturing a, a, disaster. a biological disaster. I mean, it's absolutely, you know, fascinating. And the obstacles that Roy Neary has to overcome and as well, and it's very um, sadly uh, applicable to today uh, to get her kid back, you know, uh, for, for Melinda Dillon, you know, who's been separated from her kid who now, you know, has to, you know, basically sacrifice everything to get, her, you know, her, her child back. Um, it's really a remarkable film. And, and one thing that doesn't get credit because the man is such a master, but John Williams' score... Oh. You know, uh, this came the same year as Star Wars. It's you know, it's like Mozart doing, uh, you know, two brilliant symphonies in in one 
one year. I mean, it, and they're it, so different from each they're other. They're so you know? different, you know, and and it is. Uh, it's incredible. I mean, this is a man who gave Superman and, and gave Raiders of the Lost Ark and, you know, Close Encounters. And I, I, I never realized how magnificent that score was because the original LP is not that great. It had a lot right. of the atonal music. It was only later when La La Land and some of the other people released the full score. And then you watch it and you realize, you know, it's not that, da, 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 you know, great. That's great. It's brilliant. But the, 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 the incidental score, the chase music, the, 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 the suspense, I mean, it's, it's just brilliant. And it is completely different than Star Wars. And let's let's also not forget the gorgeous cinematography that won the Oscar that year. Uh, Vilmos mm-hmm. Zygmunt's yeah. uh, cinematography is just astounding. I, but I remember watching the Academy Awards that year and being really upset that it beat Star Wars, even though I like closing <laughs> down. Like, how could that beat Star Wars or cinematography? Well, I think the Doug Trumbull stuff is because it's more real and yeah. and and, and <laughs> um, as amazing as the effects are in in Star Wars. You know, what Trumbull did, because it never takes you out of the picture. You never had a sci-fi movie where you're not, like, sort of rolling your eyes, you know, at the special effects. It was You always could see the wires, you know, whether it's George Pal or or Logan's Run or... I mean, this was, like, that and, you know, the first time other than Star Wars where it's completely credible special effects. They were two quantum leaps in the same year, within six months of each other. And for the most part, they still hold up extremely well today, even without, you know, a special, you know. know, I went to see it at the Dome last year for the anniversary, and it looked amazing, and my kids loved it. And And there's a practical effects when they do the the practical effects with the the ships, you know, coming up behind uh, Roy Neary's truck Mm -hmm. and rising. It was such a simple, incredibly, you know, it's not a visual effect, obviously, but it's such a... A simple filmmaking trick that yeah. works beautifully. Well, it, it's worth. Oh, go ahead. I was just say, if you go to um, the Smithsonian to the Air and Space Museum, you will see the model, mm-hmm. the mothership of, of the mothership. And if you look closely at the detail, you discover all sorts of fun things, including the fact that R two D two is in Close Encounters mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there's a tiny yeah. little R two D two that hanging was stuck upside in, down. Yes. You can see him in a shot. Yeah. It's yeah. all just it's it's just a really it's... interesting sort of beautiful model and just like the, the the detail, the attention, like the care, you just wow. I mean, we can say that they don't make them like that anymore because the truth is they don't make them yeah, like no. that anymore. Um which is kind of sad. Yeah, you know, it's funny because it's his way of thanking Lucas for uh, swapping points because yeah. there's the famous story about how in Hawaii they were both wondering how Star Wars and Close Encounters were going to do and Spielberg gave his back end on Close Encounters to Lucas in exchange for his back end on Star Wars and boy I think uh, Lucas was convinced his movie Spielberg was going to tank. got the better end of the I mean, deal. Oh, yeah. Everyone like God, everyone was expecting the Spielberg film to be the massive hit. I mean Spielberg coming but off of Jaws. They were both massive hits. To be yes. fair. Yeah, they yeah, were, they were yeah. huge. I mean Close Encounters was what the second top grossing movie of right. 1977. Um, and it saved Columbia Pictures. Yeah. Right. But for a while. you know Steve, <laughs> you mentioned um the lights and 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 the practical effects and what a ma- you know and that's one thing we haven't talked about when it comes to Spielberg. What a virtuoso filmmaker. How this was one of the first of the film brats, you know, when you talk about that come out came out of he didn't come out of USC, but he was he's a contemporary of those guys. This is a man who understood how to move the camera, how to frame the camera, how to shoot how to block movies, a scene. How to block a scene. And he, and he, always he picks, cut his teeth on television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he always, he's one of those film, rare filmmakers that always seems to pick the right tool for the right job. He's not just going to, even his modern films, he doesn't just throw, you know, CGI in. Right. Or throw, you know, he, like Jurassic Park, everyone thinks it's all CGI, but there's so much of that film is with, you know, these Stan Winston full-size uh, animatronic puppets. 
Um, yeah, no, he's he, he's a uh, an absolute uh, uh, conductor of of uh, imagery. Yeah, they used to have back in the seventies, you know, before video uh, VCR, uh, the photo novels, you sure. know, which were mm-hmm. the comic book for you know frames lifted and then word balloons, and it was images. And it, I think if you look at any frame from a Steven Spielberg movie of that era. Each one could be a painting. Each one is just stunningly composed. And, you know, he worked with the very top cinematographers. But, you know, even going back to Duel and Sugarland Express, I mean, it's it's stunning. In, the man is just a master at knowing how to move the camera and how to compose images. And I would disagree about now because I do feel that he does rely too much on CGI, whether it's the cacophony of, of, of I would say, Zero Dark Thirty, whatever it's called, the Ready Player One, Ready Player yeah. One. <laughs> and um, the, the um, uh, you know, certainly in that last Indiana Jones film, we're moving away from those sort of practical gags to, you know, CGI monkeys and all this stuff, which really diminishes sort of the, the, the menace of, of, of that, that brilliant Indiana Jones show. And it even starts to happen, you know, towards the end of that first trilogy. Well, but I mean, there's no, I mean, if he was determined to do the monkey scene, there was no other way to do it. <laughs> you couldn't train well, 100 monkeys. To... Even with that, I think one of the reasons why Spielberg generally does kind of make those choices so well. Um, why, yes, he he works with the best cinematographers in the business, um, but he is so much more than that. He talks about film in a way that I have never heard anybody talk about film before or since. Other than Scorsese. Um, well, when he describes um, what he's seeing, like mm. what he wants to see, he doesn't talk about it like, well, it's this frame and it's this thing. Like when he's laying it out, he talks about it in the sense of how does this image make me feel? How does this image, I'm watching it now, I'm the audience and mm. and the audience feels this. And then this sort of comes in and I see this and I begin to feel this way. But then the music, and it's just he is orchestrating it all like in his mind as mm-hmm. though he is a person sitting in the audience watching the film. So he is experiencing it as he's designing it. Um, and that is, uh, again, I've never heard anybody uh, talk about making film in quite the same way. And, and you even see that in his home movies and his student films, which is remarkable. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I, I, you know, most people, you look at the films they made as kids and, you know, they're unwatchable. Right. I mean... It, it, he, he even then he sort of had an instinctive uh, knowledge of how to you move the camera and how to composite. I mean, it's really, he, really remarkable. He's a master at uh, at uh, choreographing action. You're never lost in an action film. The geography, the geography is, is always very clearly yeah. laid out, and there's a progression to it. You, you don't get like so many modern filmmakers just shoot for the edit. You know, Michael Bay. I'm yeah, looking at just you. They're just throw it all together. Endless in the edit shots that are utterly confusing. Okay, well, Close Encounters. Close Fabulous encounter. choice of the third um, kind, not the second kind, yes. or the yes. fourth, right? And and I assume now right out. I will ask you which version are we showing? There are three versions of Close Encounters: um, there's the original theatrical, there's the new cut, and of course there's this special edition. I th- I think that I think that Spielberg's final cut that he put out on uh, Laserdisc first, um, which includes a couple of the things from the special edition, which are nice shots and nice sequences. I think that is the best version of the film. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, so um, that's Tuesday, Wednesday, Ashley Miller. So the movie that I'm picking for Wednesday is um, – it was the first movie I think that ever surprised me when I was a kid. You know, I mean that wonderful feeling that you have when you go to see a movie, you know nothing really about it 
and you sit down and you watch it, you expect nothing, and it turns out to be um, wonderful and sometimes transformative, but but very often it's just this it's just this thing that you never expected um, emotionally. And you know the uh, the the movie that I'm I'm talking about is of course my favorite Spielberg movie. What I would argue is his masterpiece. And by the way, I'm not even saying it's necessarily his very best film. I'm saying it's the film that brought the whole room together where he showed all of his capabilities um, and really showed us the kind of filmmaker that he is from like A to Z. I can't go there with Hook. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> Damn it. Well, okay. Then I'm going to pick something else. I guess I'm going to go with E.T. instead. Mm -hmm. um, I love E.T. I think E.T. is a nearly perfect film. Um, it, is, it is beautifully shot. It is beautifully written. Uh, Melissa Matheson, uh, Black Stallion. Um, it is just – everything about it feels real and authentic. Um, you know, the, the way that I understand that, um, you know, that Spielberg – I mean, this was, this was all sort of apocryphal, but that a lot of it was shot um, relatively uh, in chronological order in order to serve the younger actors mm. so that he could mm -hmm. get them into the right emotional right. place because it was easier to get them to go there. Um, his facility with those young actors, I think, is oh. just astonishing. It's amazing. The performances he got out of those kids. And, and with oh, Terry so Guffing good. Close Encounters, too. Right. It's he's such a great director. Of he just he I can't even think of like even you know look I can take issue with Jurassic Park as having you know children that don't feel like real children but the performances were good but he's just so great with them. Um, D Wallace is so wonderful. Peter Coyote is so mm. wonderful. Um, and then he does these things, visual things without comment that are just fantastic. First, um, largely through the first part of the movie. You don't see an adult other than D. Wallace, except you don't see the adult except like from right. the waist down. It's all sort of shot from the kid's yeah, point of view. It's peanuts. That's right. Yeah. It's exactly. It's peanuts. You know the other. But the parents thing, still go wah wah wah. Yeah, yeah right. Thank God. Um, <laughs> although maybe that would be cool. <laughs> Re Redubbing ET with all that. <laughs> you know, really funny. other things that he does do visually, that like um, when Keys, Peter Coyote's character, yes. shows up, and I have you know more to sort of say about that as a story point, but. You know, when the government guys show up and they tent the house, you know, and it mm -hmm. kind of looks like every airbag kind of went off all at once. <laughs> um, and Elliot is in the little tent and uh, Peter Coyote is standing outside of it. Go back and watch that sequence again. And here's what you'll discover. There is never a shot of keys that Elliot is not in. Right. One is foregrounded. One is backgrounded. One is either in focus, the other out mm -hmm. of focus. They are always separated by glass or reflected in glass. Yes. It's fascinating. and Because uh, they're the same character separated by years. Exactly. And yeah. it's brilliant and it's moving. Um, you know, it's just the – and it's so – and I think this was the thing that even as a kid just sort of got me, right? Because everything that Spielberg told us to expect about those government agents were they're the threat. Mm -hmm. They're the enemy. And then Peter Coyote busts out with like, Elliot, he came to me too. Yeah. You know, it's like, I've wanted this since I was 10 years yeah. old. This guy you here's a miracle. think is a villain who's trying to kidnap E.T. and do experiments on him turns out to be utterly sympathetic. Exactly. It's like, you know, Elliot at the beginning of this movie is, you know, he's he's lamenting the, you know, the, sort of the loss of his of his father. Right. right. The theme of this movie is like, God damn it, Elliot, you got to learn that other people have feelings. Right. <laughs> you know, just grow up. 
And you know, he I think he wants more than anything else for a father to appear. And in some ways, E.T. kind of fills that void, though E.T. is really sort of more of the the friend. Right. But when Peter Coyote shows up, right, he he fulfills that role. It's fascinating to me how that works. And then there's one more thing, one more shot that I, I think is maybe my favorite um, cut ever, like in a Spielberg movie. And by the way, how many directors do we talk about that were like, wow, I really loved that cut, right? <laughs> like, it can, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, like truck, what truck? And then boom, boom you're at the yeah. truck. It's genius. <laughs> so when they're saying goodbye to E.T., or really E.T. is saying goodbye to them. Sure. And finally, E.T. gets to Elliot, mm-hmm. right? And Elliot drops to his knees. He goes to Dee Wallace. He's on her for just a moment. And she drops to her knees. And she reaches out with her hands like Elliot does. And it's just so beautiful. It's not like, hey, look, Mom, we're directing. Mm-hmm. No, it's a moment of empathy. Right. It's like the theme is brought kind of full circle in one beautiful, simple shot. It's not fancy. It's not like overly designed. It's not ornate. It's just a boy and his mother experiencing the same emotion for different reasons. It's it, it just uh, it is a movie that the only flaw in it is when it was re-released in 2002 and they took the goddamn mm. guns out and they put the radios in. And then Spielberg had like, you know, this moment of clarity where he realized, oh, that's dumb. I'm not doing <laughs> that. And he fixed it. Yeah. Well, he also changed E.T. from the Carlo Rambaldi puppet to a CG E.T., right. which is also a mistake. Well, it's not, horrible. Just in a, a few places. Yes, but, yes, but know, still. You know. But thank goodness that has been eliminated and it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Uh, it does any, in, in my any, house. Well, I still have the uh, <laughs> Blu-ray. Get, uh, get rid of it. There's no excuse now. It's available 4K. Oh, is it? Yes, sir. That version? No. The yeah, no, I have release. the 4K version, yeah. original version. Okay, good. But I'm okay, saying good. I well, still have the, well, the, the, the version as saying. a- Get rid of it. I like <laughs> having it as an oddity. Erase it from existence. No, no, of course I have the 4K ET. What, are you, what am I, a barbarian? <laughs> but let me just bring up the miraculous John Williams yet again. Yeah, right. Um, for that sequence you were just talking about, Ashley, um, Spielberg let John Williams compose. And he cut the picture to the music. Mm. Brilliant. He let John have free reign in that sequence, and I think in the uh, in the uh, the first flying sequence as well. Um, but he said, "John, I want you to just cut, you know take out all the stops and do it, and I'll cut to you." Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, and that's one of the reasons why those sequences work so bloody well, and it just wrenches the emotion right out of you. And I cannot stop from welling up every time I see that. It's a Me perfect too. use of, of a composer to yeah. to work their art and create emotion through music and then match the picture to the music rather than forcing a composer to hue to a, yeah. a very specific cut. It, it, it's a great movie. And, um, you know, I met E.T. and he thanked me for helping him once at Universal <laughs> Studios. And <laughs> I, was, know, I was pleased to be able to... Thank you, Mark. <laughs> I, I missed that ride. A couple, couple, couple years ago, uh, Darren and I and a couple friends uh, did our, our Steven Spielberbia tour of Los Angeles. And we visited, we did our pilgrimage to the E.T. house and mm-hmm. neighborhood, as well as the poltergeist house and neighborhood. Where, and the, where is that? Where is the E.T. house? Um, um, it's up in. Um, it's up in. Where is that? Uh, Tonga? Tonga, yeah. Okay. 
Oh God, we should like rent a limo or a van or something. It's bus fun. We, we visited the Marty that. McFly house. And <laughs> That's the awesome. House. And the, uh, the the park where ET is in the van with the, the little dry caterpillar, ice. Uh, caterpillar. Oh, it's, uh, uh, it, it's marvelous. It's all still there. It's exactly yeah. the same. Oh, that's awesome. super fun. I did, the only time I ever did that is I took my wife to. Uh, it was a place where they filmed uh, Sunnydale High and the Buffy oh. Summers uh, House uh, for Mother's Day once. But th- I'm a that's, sucker. I love cool. visiting uh, movie locations. Well, Vasquez Rocks, obviously, yeah. sure. we've done many times. Uh, so um, you have there the floor, you go. Mark. Wednesday, E.T., the extraterrestrial, the movie. Um, <laughs> the movie. The motion picture movie. <laughs> I, let, let me just say one more thing yes, about E.T. Just the, the E.T. ride when it used to be at Universal um, was – it's not a great ride, but no. the experience of it, of being in the forest, yeah. and when, when I used to work at uh, Universal occasionally, I would go for lunch, and I would go into the theme park, and I would go stand in the forest at lunchtime just because it was so fun to be among there and see E.T.'s teacher, Botanicus, appear Botanicus. every 15 minutes and, and say, oh, E.T., come back. Well, maybe you shouldn't have let him go if he was this important to the green planet. If he's the one guy right. who can save the green planet, don't leave him on Earth. There's a chaperone having a very awkward conversation. <laughs> so uh, where's E.T.? Um, left him at the museum. Well, <laughs> I remember because when you first took off, it was so great, and they pumped so much air conditioning in. Yeah, like it was just—it was really like it was, it's it was, exhilarating. It was, it was the smell of the pine yeah. needles. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it was it beautiful, was and now it's gone. Yeah, now it's the mummy ride, right? Yeah. Or something. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Who yeah. cares? Yeah. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. Like all all of our childhood. Uh, Thursday. <laughs> okay, Thursday. So now. This is tough. This is this is tough because you know you guys obviously have picked some really remarkable movies, and you know I kind of am torn because it's like, do you go with a classic like Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is arguably one of the great movies ever made, um, Jaws, which showed you could do a tentpole movie and still honor character and suspense. And again, it's it's Spielberg at the peak of his his powers and one of my most... But, you know, these are movies that people have seen, if not tens of hundreds of times, perhaps thousands of times. And, um, you know, part of what we want to do with the 430 movie is keep our licensing budget low, but also <laughs> to shine a light on maybe films that aren't as uh, necessarily as well-known. And I even toyed toyed with you know poltergeist because uh you know it's mm-hmm. you know spielberg produced and uh, you know mostly directed and um save it for haunted house week Mark. but uh, yeah <laughs> I, I, indeed so 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 i'm sort of torn and maybe you guys can help me because my t- i have two picks two um at which it will become one yeah. um and and one of them is is munich which yeah. is a very mm-hmm. underrated picture uh, a great espionage movie that uh, you know sort of got savaged at the time it was released because you know Spielberg was attempting to sort of present both sides of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict by sort of making the Pal- Palestinians a little more uh, sympathetic. But in that story, now they're not sympathetic in that story. In the story of Munich, you know, right? Um, I, I'm not saying you know that in terms of the you know the territories and and and, and Gaza and all you know but 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 it, it got away from what the story of Munich was but um Eric Bana is so good in that movie and then you have Michael Lonsdale as this enigmatic French arms merchant and Matthew Almarck who are both uh, terrific again um, another movie where it's it's the pro- problem of Spielberg in the 90s too many endings you know mm-hmm. but uh but it's such a great 
um, pressure cooker, uh, 70s throwback. And it, it, it sort of proves why Daniel Craig would eventually become a great James Bond. Um, there's so much I love about it. But maybe my pick, and I, I'm going to need your help, could be, instead of Munich, Bridge of Spies, mm. which uh, is just a remarkable story of um, why, you know, honestly, it comes down to why the United States is great. Because here we have a guy, an accused spy, uh, you know, Mark Rylance played Rudolf Abel, um, who is caught red-handed spying for the Soviets at the height of the Cold War. And, um, you know, even though it's unpopular, Tom Hanks, as James Donovan, defends him because in America, everyone is entitled to a defense. Right. And, um, and, 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 you know, basically they want a show trial, monkey trial. And he, he, he not only defends him, but by standing by Abel and doing the right thing, he's able to save Francis Gary Powers and get him out of um, uh, the Soviet Union uh, as part of it. And he sees, you know, sort of in the power we may need him as a bargaining chip. It's just a great movie. It has that, that great virtuoso Spielberg filmmaking uh, it has a score by Thomas Newman that's pretty good. Uh, it's not a John Williams quality, but um, it, 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 I just I love so much about. It. I love Hanks in the movie. The one thing I don't like is because you know it's the 2000s. We have to add an action scene, so of course the shooting down of Gary Powers U2 becomes this big CGI mess of a scene that's totally not necessary for this movie. But I just absolutely adore Bridge of Spies, and partially. Uh, it, it's written by the Cone Brothers, who contributed a bunch. Mm. And there is that quirky, weird Cone Brothers scenes, like where in the East German embassy, Tom Hanks goes to meet the quote-unquote family of Rudolf Abel. Mm-hmm. And it's just bizarre and weird and funny and very Cone-like. And, and the marriage of Spielberg and the Cone Brothers is terrific. And I'm just a, a huge fan of Bridge of Spies. And, you know, when they say, oh, Spielberg you know, is is not making them like he used to. I feel like Bridge of Spies belongs in that pantheon of great Spielberg classics. I also feel Munich does. So I'm really torn between Bridge of Spies and Munich, and I have a feeling neither of you, none of you are going to help me resolve this dilemma. Well, I, I've only seen them each once. I own them both on Blu-ray, and I like them both very much. I thought Mark Rylance was terrific in Bridge of Spies. Um Frankly, I'm sick of Mark Rylance, but I've had about <laughs> enough of his crap. <laughs> Listen, Rylance. <laughs> I, I would, I would edge toward Bridge of Spies myself, mostly because it's it's more satisfying, and you don't hate yourself for liking the main characters. Mm, interesting point. Yeah, interesting I agree point. with that. I, I think the other thing about Bridge of Spies is one of the things we've talked a lot about in Spielberg Week is just how the the things that he does just demonstrate his virtuosity as a filmmaker, and the thing that you know, that maybe we should talk about with Bridge of Spies is the fact that this was not a $150 million blockbuster that he made. Like, this is just a movie that he kind of just decided to make. Yeah. And he just went out and he made it, man. It's like, you know, for some directors, this would be their their masterpiece, their masterwork. Right. And for Spielberg, it was like, yeah, I'm going to go for a jog the around the block. <laughs> you know, hey, look, it's Bridge of Spies. Hey, look, let's, let's make this one. like yeah. that famous year where he did Jurassic Park and Schindler's List the same year, you know, and he's making, he's cutting Jurassic Park while he's making Schindler's List. Well, I mean, Lucas is George cutting, Lucas, is Lucas cutting was cutting Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. I mean, it's a really <laughs> extraordinary um, uh, double... Shot. Now, I'm not a huge, huge Jurassic Park fan the way other people are, um, but 
it, it's really remarkable when you look at that achievement. I have to say, I, I, I mean, I remember it's, it's astounding that those films came out in the same year. It's from the same like, filmmaker, and, and well, it's sort of like uh, Oliver Stone doing uh, was it The Doors and JFK in the same year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not quite on the same level, but I love both those movies, so I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And I would say that you know what's remarkable also about Schindler's List is, of course, it led to him starting the Shoah Foundation and doing right. you know an immense amount of good uh, came from that movie. But I remember sitting. I was interviewing Ray Fiennes, and we were having a lovely conversation at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel, you know, having a, a, a nice meal and everything. And at one point, he, he, he um, says something. About, he's talking about Schindler's List. And he leans forward, and he does – he lapses into Eamon Goth and does the accent. And he goes, let me tell you something more. And I – I've never had this experience. I got chills up my I was Ooh. terrified. I mean, that is an actor. I mean, like, literally, we're in these palatial uh, five-star hotel surroundings, and, you know, we're just having a casual conversation. And he just, for a second, becomes that character. Well, he sounds like a big jerk and, to me for doing yeah, that. It was, <laughs> it was terrifying. And... and um, uh, it was really remarkable, and I, I, that that, that uh, experience has always sta- stayed with me. And I think his work, in particular in Schindler's List, is 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 absolutely remarkable. Um, so I thought we were talking about Bridge of Spies. Yeah, yeah we are. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it just this is the you're waffling. Spielberg, you're waffling. All Spielberg has given us so many gifts. Spielberg drift. You know yeah, that that you know, and and that's why I resent people. With, you know, who would say, oh, he's lost, or he, you know, it's not the old. You know, it's like he has had such a remarkable career. And you look at all the great filmmakers. You know. Billy Wilder, John Ford, they've all had their masterpieces and they've also had films that are, you know, they've had the BFG or whatever, you know. They were working. They're working professionals. They're making films. I love the fact that, you know, he keeps, you know, and he hasn't gotten pigeonholed in any one genre. You know, he he still wants to do his musical. I mean, that first 10 minutes of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is as good as any musical I've ever seen. Well, he has been pigeonholed into doing Spielberg movies. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So I guess, you know, I guess, you know, really comes down to me between Munich and Bridge of Spies. And as, as much as I just think Munich... Um, is is so great with with a couple of you know and just real nail biter when it comes to those uh, uh, some of those scenes. I, I think I'm just going to give the edge to uh, Bridges Spies and Bridges oh, Spies. Will, <laughs> Bridges <laughs> Spies will be my my pick for uh, for Thursday. Well, now I now I want to go home and watch both of those films again because it has been a while. You will not uh, uh, you know be disappointed because they're both really really great movies. I we mean, need a lightning round for Friday. Yeah. yeah, I have two nominations. Sure, sure. Should, should I start? I have one nomination of Spielberg as a director and one as a producer. Whew, okay. For directing, I'm going to go with a film that uh, in some ways changed the film industry, I, I think for the better, and uh, is controversial. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. Love it. I think the best of the Indiana Jones sequels. You're not nuts. You're crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Not without its problems that we could discuss if we want to discuss it further. The other film as a producer uh, from the following year, uh, Young Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) Fast. Which is a fun little movie that Amblin Entertainment produced. Directed by Barry Levinson. Yeah. Yeah. uh, An origin story uh, for for Sherlock Holmes. And another... At the dawn of the CGI era, yeah. yep. one of the first CGI um, um, with the with the, yes, the, um, the stained glass, stained glass window that becomes a, a person and, and a great score mm-hmm. by, by Bruce, uh, Broughton. Bruce Broughton. Bruce Broughton. Yeah. yeah, great score. Love that score. Um, okay, those uh, are good ones, Darren. I want to throw in a a small Spielberg film, but I think a, an extremely entertaining one. Catch me if you can. Mm. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. good movie. Um, Leo. Uh, Leo, uh, what's his name? I've never heard of him. Yeah, Dick (laughs) Caprio. Yeah, Um, as uh, as uh, this uh, 
basically forger who uh, who gallivants around the world on uh, bad checks and uh, lies, and it's a totally engrossing movie. Yeah, yeah. Ashley? Um, I'm going to have to go with one of my other favorite movies from the 80s that Spielberg produced and I believe wrote the story for, and it's beloved by, by many. Um, and I recently shared it with my son, um, who adored it and watched it over and over and over again. Um, I personally think for Friday that the Goonies are good enough. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. And I'm the, my, my choice for Friday is um, featuring a, a, a great performance by Steven Spielberg. Into the Night, John Landis. Is it? <laughs> oh, no. that's interesting. <laughs> no, I actually, I actually, I'm going to go with Jaws. I, I have to go with Jaws. I, I think it was, um, it was the film that could have made or broken his career. Uh, it is a film that is it's just it, it, it has it everything about that movie works and given the hell on earth that he went through and that he was able with the shark not working the legendary stories everything you know being on a boat you know and and, and just going months and and over schedule it's also an example of great producers protecting an actor i think you could also go with duel uh, which is the same movie, but um, <laughs> I I gotta go with Jaws. I feel like that caps uh, a, a great Spielberg week. It's as if God created the devil and gave him Jaws. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, and I'm sure Richard Dreyfus would agree with me that it belongs on Friday. Look, every time we were out on the boat, um, we would hear over the over the radios, the shark isn't working, the shark isn't working, and it was extremely frustrating. Uh, for us and Stephen, um, but we got through it somehow, and uh, you know I'm just glad to be alive after all the um, uh, uh, materials I snuffed up my nose and things like that. <laughs> well, well, you know we were so glad to have you join us, awesome. Mr. Dreyfus, and I'm a big fan of Stakeout, so I I, I would love to know uh, of these choices. You know, if we were up to you. Uh, what, what what do you think uh, you would program? Well, on I, I, I would de- I would definitely pick Jaws because I get the most residuals from that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Steve, what do you think? Oh my gosh! Well, give, given the other films that we've uh, selected for the week, I think uh, Jaws fits best. Uh, with the other films, I, I was trying to, you know, nominate a couple films that were maybe a little. You're uh, not wrong. I mean, Temple of Doom is a great nomination, but I feel like Jaws just—it's the port, you know, at the end. Surely, of the meal. It, it, it was the the beginning of his career, and yet it is a great <laughs> summation uh, uh, in a way. And I think Temple of Doom belongs in Indiana Jones Week. Well, okay. or something. <laughs> or Adventure as a New like, Name Week. Yes, yeah. exactly. I mean, I yeah, I have to say Jaws because I think here's the thing about Jaws that it, people don't. People forgotten that guy can direct movies that are just scary. Yeah. That movie is terrifying. Um, I wouldn't go it, in a goddamn swimming pool right? <laughs> by myself because the swimming pool. There's no sharks in a swimming pool. I think, are I there? think that says more about you. <laughs> if only for the Indianapolis speech that movie is right. worth I, watching. My family Friday. was living in freaking Hawaii when that movie came out. We would go to the beach almost every weekend until one day. Yeah, <laughs> and oh my god, you know, it, it's one of those movies that deals with such a primal fear of being eaten alive by another animal. I mean, that is, there's, I don't think there's anything more terrifying than that. I, I apply, you know, in Blade Runner, there's the Voight-Kampf test. For this, I apply the Godfather test. Now, what's the Godfather test? If you are channel surfing and you come to the Godfather mm-hmm. and it's the middle of the movie, 
you, you just can't stop change and now. You, you stop watch and watch the whole movie. <laughs> Does the Jaws meet Jaws meet the the Godfather test? Do you come Absolutely. home and and, yes. you're, and yeah. you Jaws is on? You watch it till the, the I, end I, of the movie. I think that's that's the case. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I Monday. AI, artificial well, intelligence. Maybe we move AI a little later in the week. Maybe we kick off. What do you think? Kick off, or are we are we at risk of doing everything chronologically that way? But I wonder if we kick off with ET or close. No. Monday is no. fun day. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't mind having uh, uh, AI on Monday no, because because it's a it's an interesting thing that people can skip over if they want. Hey, it's an interesting. No, no I, look, I, I think it shows. This really shows. The diversity and the strength and uh, uh, the richness of, of of the filmography by you know sure. so I, I I think I'm okay with that on Monday. Yeah. Okay. Monday it's AI. <laughs> Tuesday Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Wednesday ET the Extraterrestrial. Thursday Bridge of Spies. And closing us out on Friday, Joel. <laughs> if man had created, what, what if God had created the devil? He'd given him what? What is the, the trailer? It's Shark as if God had created the devil and gave him jaws. jaws. Thank you, thank you, Percy Rodriguez. Percy Rodriguez, the great Commodore Stone. Well, I want to thank all of you for for Stone. being here. Sorry, uh, I want to I want to mention that um, uh, Ashley Miller has uh, Lore season two uh, out now on um, Amazon Prime. Check it out. Uh, we're excited about. Uh, Another exciting season of lore. Uh, Steve Melching, part of the Star Wars Resistance team, which debuted on uh, the um, Disney Channel. No, well, that's already happened in the past. (laughs) And uh, just this is how this all works. You see, we we record them now, but then they air in the future. Uh, So the past is the future. It's kind of like Prince of Darkness, only different. (laughs) Uh, I'll get out the Back to the Future board. And then um, uh, Darren Dockerman, of course, uh, we're thrilled to have. And you can check out all his fantastic logo wear at 430movie.com, where there's a variety of fantastic 430 movie swag. In addition, he also has a new line of apparel called Obscurities. Obscurities, and I'm trying to find a a website for that, so uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned for that. Uh, I'm Mark A. Altman. My new book, So Say We All, is out in bookstores now. And we thank you for joining us for the 430 movie. Join us next week for an all-new episode. And a special thanks to our friends here at Electric Studios and the Electric Search Network, and especially engineer Bill Ritter for making everything possible. This has been the 430 movie.